Hello swimmers and welcome to Torpedo Swim Talk. On last week's pod, I put out a call for swimmers to send in their set of the week. Thanks to the many listeners who sent through their favourites and I wanted to highlight two today. Firstly from Nikki Clement from New Zealand. She has a squad mate turning 65 soon and they're going to do 65 50s on 65 seconds. But Nikki is doing hers all fly. An awesome effort, Nikki, and good luck with that set. And secondly, to past podcast guest Rod Watkins, who is in regional Victoria and out of lockdown and back in the pool this past week. He completed a zippy little set made up of 400 pool, 4 by 100 freestyle, 25 fast, 25 easy, repeat, then 4 by 100 just with the band, and to finish that off, 40 50s on 50 to finish. You'll be fit in no time with that set, Rod. A special call out to marathon swimmer Chloe McArdle, who this past week made her 42nd crossing of the English Channel. She's so close to equaling the record of 43 and then surpassing it. Good luck to Chloe with her upcoming swims. And now to today's podcast guest. We welcome open water veteran swimmer and swim well coach, Australian Peter Hendricks. Thank you, Mark. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining us today to talk about open water swimming. Thanks for having me, Danielle. Yeah, you're very welcome. Were you on the water or in the water this morning yourself? Not this morning. Um, I've taken the day off with a very strong west-northwesterly. Um, it's pretty horrible out there for most of the Bayside beaches, with the exception of Mentone, so I'll go there a bit later. So for everyone listening, you're sort of based around Port Phillip Bay um, in Melbourne, and where do you do most, what, what beaches do you do most of your training and coaching at? Um, our, our main focus and reach at the moment is with uh, Half Moon Bay, and um, uh, Mentone. So, you know, we're, we're very blessed here to have um, uh, two beaches that can cater for most of the wind variations. So anything um, south, southerly or easterly is good for everywhere, but uh, southerly or even with a bit of westerly, you know, Half Moon Bay is good. Uh, anything northerly and... And once again, easily everywhere, but um, uh, Mentone is best. So that's really that's really good. I've noticed um, on a few of the uh, Facebook sites, people have been saying there's been a lot of um, lion's mane jellyfish around. Do they come in with the wind, and then, or is that they more do? Yeah, and they seem to come in on the wind and then can disappear just as quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've we've uh, had. Last year, they came in for a very short period of time and then disappeared for the whole of the summer. So I suppose we're hoping for the same uh, this year. I know that uh, people in Williamstown posted up uh, two days ago um, a very thick group of lion's manes. And so, yeah, yeah, we don't want to see that happen uh, (laughs) over the whole summer. No, yeah, out of lockdown into another lockdown. <laughs> yes, yeah, that puts a lot of people off, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it certainly does. It puts a lot of people off, and we don't want to. With so many people coming into open water swimming, we don't want to ruin their experience. Yeah, absolutely. How did you end up as an open water um, coach? Like, what led you down that path? Once I got my coaching accreditation, 
I then went into the Great Victorian Swim Series and it was just something that um, uh, even though the Portsea Classic wasn't a part of that, was the very first swim I ever did with some friends down in Portsea. And um, I just fell in love with open water swimming after that. And once I'd done that, uh, the, the choice between pool and open water to me was... Yeah, it was a no-brainer. The open water one every single time. And and from there, I discovered a lot of things. And um, uh, one, I could do my coaching in the open water. I was surprised at how many people really uh, thought that they could only swim in a pool and not really in the open water. And, you know, the, the my coaching passion started with transitioning people from the pool into open water. Yes. And then, you yes. know, like all things, um, uh, there's the pool swimmers who don't like the cold. And, and so it's just, it's just been a gradual thing, little baby steps. And the pandemic has really helped speed the process of transitioning more people out of the pool into open water. That's all it's really done. And people have surprised themselves um, about how well they have been able to cope with the cold. Because for a lot of people, it's been two winters. and uh, you know, the number of people getting into the bay now as opposed to, say, five or ten years ago is just oh, it's chalk and cheese. Yeah. Well, what kind of things do you recommend for someone starting out with cold water swimming in the bay at the moment? Like what what a newbie coming to to try it out, what, what sort of basics do they have to have? One, you just want uh, having the curiosity to find out about what it's all about and then, you know, just being um, uh, taking advantage of the not the wealth of knowledge that's out there. You know, the, there's a lot of people that will help them uh, ease into the water, baby steps. And basically, my transitioning into cold water was uh, as a result of me writing a, one of the articles I wrote, which was probably about ten years ago. Is why do people become swim in the cold when there's a perfectly warm option called a wetsuit? And that was my article. And, and I'd been swimming in the cold, you know, in a wetsuit for a while. And I'm, I was just fascinated by all these people swimming without. And I thought, they're crazy. What are they doing? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I wrote this article about the luxuries and the creature comforts of swimming in a wetsuit. And to me, it sounded perfectly logical. And to a lot of people who said it, yeah, I'm with you, pal, and the whole thing. And then, but I copped a lot of criticism from on the International Coaching Forum about, was I aware of the benefits of cold water swimming and had I ever tried it? And you know the definition of, you know, you shouldn't knock it until you've tried it. So anyway, I took the plunge and tried it. And I, my response to that first was, no, I hadn't tried it, but I don't need to jump off a cliff to know that it's not good for me. <laughs> and I listened to the wise words of some of our coaches in San Francisco and New York and uh, – and I took the plunge. Um, the, my first day, I'll never forget, it was in 12-degree water uh, at Half Moon Bay, convinced three other people to go with me and try it. And, Dave, uh, there were different poles, but one of the poles that we swam to was about 450 metres from the boat ramp. And I was about, I remember swimming about halfway to that pole and just in my mind, I just said, oh, my God, I've jumped off that cliff and now I'm going to die. <laughs> and uh, that was my first reaction. 
the brain freeze, everything really got to me. And anyway, I really didn't think I was going to survive. But anyway, I got to the yellow pole and then came back uh, to the start. And all of a sudden, I was feeling great. And so two of us, two of the two never went back into cold water again without a water. And two of us then continued to swim around the service and came back and have never worn a wetsuit since. So wow. it was really quite a life-changing event for me and that's I suppose sparked the journey to learning and and understanding and then helping others to do the same so um, you know basically that's really from my perspective in from a coaching perspective is to you know try and fast track the learnings of others so they don't have to go through all of the processes I've gone through and uh yeah. And that's the way I try to approach it. That really interesting. You said when you you first you first got in with that first cold water um, experience, and you had the face freeze, the brain freeze, and then you were coming back, and it, it tipped over. Was that a tipped over into you thinking it was wonderful? Was that a physical response, or did you go through something uh, mentally to click over, or how did that become um, sort of a euphoric well, feeling for you? Well, I think. The body uh, all of a sudden wasn't hurting so much and my brain freeze uh, started to dissipate. But it was more, I think, the the actual joy, the, the feel of the water was so totally different. And, and, you know, the feeling of the water on your hands and the face and on your chest and on your legs, it was just, you just had a much better feel for the water. And, and I then started to think, wow. The water is actually thicker when it's colder as well. So uh, the messages are quite, you know, the water is always talking to us and letting us know whether we're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. But when it's thicker like that, the messages are even louder. So the water is actually shouting at you saying, no, you idiot, don't do it that way, do it a different way. And when you do, you say, oh, thanks for that, great tip. And, uh, you know, it's... So that started to come through and it was more the fact that I was feeling uh, there was this bit of euphoria and I think, you know, um, it's that what drives people to continue doing cold water swimming. When I got out, um, I've never felt so alive in all my life and uh, it was fantastic. And, uh, and I don't think even to this day, I don't think you ever see any group of swimmers if they put hand on heart and are honest with themselves saying gee i love getting into cold water you know it's i don't think anybody truly does that but they know what is what the outcome is going to be they know what they're going to feel like afterwards and that's why we continue to do it you know there's days i look out there and go and somebody else turns up and you say okay let's do it then you go in and say, oh, wow, wasn't that fantastic? The number of times I've said that is just too many to mention. And, yeah. You know, oh, glad I did that. You know, what, thanks for making me. I wouldn't have gone if you hadn't have turned up. If I could have coined, if I could bottle all those, the number of times I've heard that, there's just too many to, to mention. There's yeah. very few times uh, I've ever left the water and heard anybody who's also been in there saying, well, that's the last time I'm doing that. That was ridiculous. You know, I'm not going to do that <laughs> yeah. again. 
I've never really, I may have heard that once or twice. Yeah. And it's usually to do when people have had a bad jellyfish experience. Yes, yeah, of course, that puts people off, definitely. Yeah. I mean, obviously open water swimming has exploded during this time when we've been, obviously pools have been locked down and people are looking for their closest body of water to swim in, whether that's the bay or a river or a lake or whatever. Um, in normal times when we are able to swim um, anywhere we want and you've got squads going, how do you um, sort of structure that? I know you have a kayak that you swim beside your swimmers. How, how do you go with coaching them out there on the water? For instance, if um, I try to make sure that those sessions are never compromised, working on technique must be a 100% focus on delivering a change to something you're doing. I personally like to describe myself as like a swim mechanic. I'm, I'm in the performance team. I'm the person in the, if you've got the Formula One, uh, Formula One drivers, they go into the pits. I'm in the pits sort of working with people, fine-tuning, tinkering with the engine, seeing, checking all the KPIs, what's working well, what's not working well, how can we deliver better performance, and then uh, telling the driver, you know, here's what I want you to do. So with your so, open water swimmers, you obviously do a lot of technique with them in the pool and then take them into the bay. Do you tend to do the technique work in the bay or is that mainly, is that more just the, the aerobic side of things? In in the way, I, <clears throat> the pool side of working on it is really only a very short part. When you say a lot, I don't do a lot in the pool. Yep. With them. Um, it's really uh, getting at least that first session out of the way. Um, it's, so the beauty about the pool is that they don't have to, they're not distracted by other things. And that is the waves, the chop, the water clarity, the um, anything else. So yeah. what I the very first step we need to make within changing anybody or working with anybody is they need to see themselves swimming. They need to know what it is that they're currently doing. And then I need to be able to show them how I would like them, the changes that I'd like to see them make and the reasons why and why if they um, do something different, you know, and uh, they will get a different result. Um, but I also uh, get them to experiment with what I ask them to do and, and uh, feel for it because the important thing is, is that, you know, uh, uh, the num there's quite a number of times people say, watch, watch what I'm doing. Is that better? Is that better? And I'm saying, okay, you tell me, was it better? You know, if, you if it's working for you, the water will tell you, you know, did you go further? When you tried the other thing, what felt better? What went, what did you feel you went further? Did you feel you moved through the water? That, you know, it, it shouldn't be me telling people the, the water will give the response. And, and that's really important. So my uh, main task is to educate swimmers on what it is they should be looking for and what they should be feeling and, and how do they know if they're doing better or not. So you find so, with your athletes, they, they pop in for a bit of technique work and, and then they'll go off and do that. And they might come back for a bit of fine-tuning, that kind of Thing. Yeah, what I like yeah. to leave people with is a clear set of uh, a clear idea of what it is that they want to change and what that should look like. 
But the beauty of my coaching is that every time I work with somebody, I'm learning something as well. Uh, everybody does something a little bit different and I need to problem solve and, uh, and work with them to fix that. And I'm saying, oh, that's really good. Then I try and uh, like about what I can do is I can imitate other people's strokes. So I can, whatever, no matter how bad a stroke is, I can, I can copy that. And then I try and work on how to fix that. And so when I see something done by uh, a swimmer in the water, I try to replicate what I'm seeing and see what it feels like. And then I can better describe how to the road or the, the roadmap out of that. Yeah, <laughs> to, <okay>. <laughs> to take a quote that we're yeah, using. Yeah, a topical <laughs> phrase. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. the roadmap yeah. to anywhere is different. If you go down to, and I'm sure most people will identify with this, if you go down to the bay on any given day and you see the number of swimmers swimming out, it's there's enormous numbers and they're um they're all doing freestyle. And yeah. It's amazing where you say, my God, have a look at that. They're all doing the same stroke, but, it's, but the Mars will be all the languages of the world. Yes. You know, they can, it might be freestyle in ours, but it's, my God, there's so many different ways of doing freestyle. And, and that's really what we want is to say, okay, well, who are the best? You know, when you look at the Olympics, then the variations narrow quite dramatically. There is, Mm. You know, more strokes looking more alike. So we do know that, okay, what we need to do to improve is to start looking more like what they are looking like. And that doesn't mean you have to go to them to find out because a lot of those swimmers have just been moulded into that by their coaches who are working on their technique. So really yeah. what you've got to do is say not become them themselves, mm. but what is it that they're practising and how do they do it and what is their focus? Just back to what you said, an interesting thing. Um, do you see a difference between freestyle that you would swim in a pool to freestyle in the open water? Can it be the same? What, what differences or what changes can people or do they need to make when we have to take into account waves and different sort of water in both of those um, different bodies of water, the pool to the, the bay? Really good question, and uh, and it's something that a lot of people you're going to hear a whole myriad of responses. But let's just say you take a day where the water is like glass, mm. and uh, and and you're thinking, okay, it's probably better than being in lane three in any given pool where the pool is rougher than what the open water is on some of those days where it's like a mirror. Um, the difference will be is in the pool, the thickness of the water, the water is usually warmed up to about um, you know, high 20s. Uh, in a learn to swim pool, it's in the 30s. So the swimming is usually done in 27, 28 degree water. Um, yeah. And so when you hop into the bay, that water temperature can be anywhere between like this winter, eight and a half to um, and not many people like swimming in that, uh, to, you know, but uh, can go all the way up to um, about 24 or 25 at the height of summer. So the water thickness is different. So there's a difference. So 
people can feel like they're swimming slower in the uh, bay than what they are in the pool. And they'd probably be right, you know, because um, a lot of people don't realise, but water doesn't go from what it is at 25 degrees to totally frozen at zero. There's a thickening process. And so the resistance in the water is greater. So I uh, really urge people to get into cold water swimming to really work on their technique. It's a great, um, it's a great time to work on it. Don't look at speed outcomes. Don't look at your watch and, and consistently say, oh, God, I, you know, I'm slow today. You know, yeah. rate per hundred is, you know, that's all that they're worried about. So, you know, um, they want, all wanting to be the Tom Cruise, the need for speed. The stroke then is if you're swimming, I'm going to say how difficult is it for people to really focus on swimming one way, you know, uh, let alone all of a sudden it's about as challenging to go out there and start thinking, okay, I'm an open water swimmer, so therefore I need to know French, Italian, German, and it's not that simple. I'm not going to swim totally different. However, you experience will tell you what you need to do, like your recovery, a classic recovery arm actions where the fingers might be just uh, in, you know, millimetres over the water. In a chop, that's probably not a wise thing to do. You want the, you'll want to get the, the, the uh, forearm and the swing, the recovery arm, just up a little bit higher. When you're breathing, you'll need to make the adjustments to rotate just a fraction more than, than uh, what, you might normally in order to get the air, you've still got to rotate, you've got to keep the head down. All of the same rules apply. And um, but how you uh, you make fine tune adjustments for the conditions. Well, tuning in needs to be heightened. You really need to be uh, to make the the difference. You're looking at the peaks and troughs of waves. Where can I really surge ahead when I'm going into the current? Oh, I get to the peak and I can actually slide down the back of that wave and come up the next part way up the next one. And it can be really great fun. That's what we do in wild water swimming. And then when I'm going with the waves, about the importance of keeping the feet up so that the waves are coming in underneath and pushing you forward and you know, it's not so much the kick, it's the position of the feet rather than the power of the kick that's going to get the, because our kick out in the ocean is, you know, not going to deliver other than, all it's going to do is burn fuel. But careful positioning of the feet can really take advantage of what Mother Nature is throwing at us. Yes. The short answer is there's really no change but there's heightened awareness and slight adjustments. Yeah. And obviously with sighting, in the, it's a lot more um, important in the open water. What kind of advice would you give to someone just starting out and um, figuring out the best way for them to sight? So I know personally when I'm in the open water, I, I try to incorporate it with my, um, my breath and I probably do it every four to eight strokes. What sort of the sweet spot you found? Okay, so uh, another really topic uh, and great question. Um, sighting is impacted by you know the direction of the currents and so on, and also person stroke. So people who cross over a lot will either 
and breathe primarily to one side will tend to have like a, um, either a slice, a slicing action where they'll go just, they always swim off to the left or they always swim off to the right. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I do with uh, the introduction to open water swimmers is I might have a group of 10 and we'll swim from one yellow cone to the next yellow cone. It's 100 metres. I get them to black out their goggles, so we put blackout in them, and so they can't see anything. And we get them all to take 100 strokes and uh, set off in the right direction and just see where they wind up. And in a group of 10, you'll find that they could be spread anywhere up to 60 metres apart, left or right. Very few people go dead straight. And uh, if you take 100 strokes, you should travel, and something that people should take into account, every time they move their arm around, you know, what are they expecting? I'm going to tell people that's another little tip, is that every time you take one stroke, you should travel at least one metre, right? So if you're taking in you know, 100 metres between two um, uh, cones, it's a really interesting test. How close did I get to where I'm going? And... Uh, and how straight did I go? So if you take 100 strokes, very rarely do people go dead straight. Uh, people will go off to the left and off to the right, and you can actually see how far you will have to swim extra in distance in order to get to your destination. I always start off with, in teaching, six strokes first. Right. And just see if you're going straight. Every time you turn a marker in a swim race, six strokes first. Am I still going straight? If I am still going straight, uh, go out to 10 and then to 12. And then you might, until you start going offline, then you make sure that you're sighting every time. If you start, as soon as you go offline, reduce the number of strokes between sightings. When you actually see some of the um, elites in triathlon and that, a lot of those people are sighting all the time, you know, and and that's probably, and that's probably overkill. Lifting that head up is is hard work, and it's certainly slowing the action down. The swimming itself has changed into. There's been a lot of different techniques on sighting, and the, the best thing is to have the eyes just above the water. In calm conditions, that can happen. In rough conditions, learning how to sight at the peak of the wave, not wasting your time trying to sight down in the trough because you're not all you're going to see is water coming at you. So, you know, sighting on the peaks, making sure you don't lift the head too high. They have changed from getting a breath on that stroke to never breathing on the same stroke as a sighting one because it takes too long. Uh, so you breathe, you sight on one stroke and then breathe on the very next stroke and keep the head down. Some people can experiment with that. It's all about what delivers the best result. But the more you look up, the more you sight, and the more you breathe, yeah, the the slower you're going to go. You know, and that's and I always say to people, there's a reason why the 50 meter sprints nobody breathes anymore. If you breathe in a 50 meter sprinting race, you're really not in the race. Uh, it's only one breath is enough to lose you the race. Yes. So um, so we want to sight and breathe as little as possible and get the head back down as soon as you possibly can. Yeah, that's that's great advice. 
And say someone who's just come to open water swimming in the last bit of time during COVID and is interested in doing an ocean race, sort of something maybe like a one of the Victorian um, swim series, yeah. so 1.2K, what kind yep. of open water training would you be recommending? Like what, what would be a session that they could do in the water to help them towards that goal? What would you suggest? Um, I think just frequency of getting into the water, get into the water in various conditions, mm-hmm. just increase your distances. You know, there's, um, you'll find that, you know, we, some different squads, we, we do run open water squads now where people can come in and they really can um, work hard in the open water, combine pool, uh, you know, combination of pool and open water swims. If you're really wanting to get into the open water and make that comfortable, it should be a part of your weekly training. Mm. You know, it shouldn't all be in the pool and then you turn up on the day and wonder why, you know, gee, I'm really not comfortable in the open water. Well, get comfortable. Yeah. You know? yeah. Do you it's, do sort of things like... um do you do interval training in those um, open Absolutely, water absolutely, yeah. very much so. We've, you know, gearing and pacing is uh, probably the most single most important thing when you do the swimming that we do, which is, you know, open water. There's open water swimming, but then you know, you know, our crowd is very much into marathon swimming, and you know, um, marathon swimming isn't just the souped up version of a 1.2k swimmer right it's it's uh it's really just training and pacing and knowledge and understanding that you know each and every you know the number of people once upon a time uh the number of people swimming the english channel were uh front page news every time somebody accomplished it and Mm -hmm. now uh with knowledge and with the um, and, and you know, right around the globe, you know, the open water swimming phenomenon hasn't just been in Melbourne or in Australia. Um, if you really want to see what it's done around the world, it's just enormous. And in fact, if you look at it, Australia has really fallen behind in the world of open water swimming. When you look at our performances in the pool, you know, just compare them to our results in open water swimming in marathon swimming around the world and we are really falling off the perch and you know we we and i'm just going to really encourage the movement into open water you know so yeah. uh, there's no surprise to me to see that you know we do well in the pool because we spend most of our time in the pool and um but covid has really and the lockdown has really uh i think got people at least interested in saying, hey, if I can do that. I didn't mind it actually out there in the open. Well, there are a lot of people who I've heard who are saying, gee, that's really cool. And I'd say that as soon as the pool's open, just at least keep one or two sessions a week. If you're serious about doing well in open water swimming or in triathlon, you can't do better than, yeah, a bit of a mix. You know, we've got the great sessions with, you know, all the masters clubs around. And we've got, you know, great coaches in, you know, experienced coaches in, say, Johnny Van and um, and Robert Butcher and others, and who do great sessions at the pools that uh, 
you know, that uh, help people prepare for specific pro, uh, events, um, but then come out into the open world, really uh, do some of those, those, you know, training in open water is, is important. You don't want to come out and just do your training in the event that you're selected event and then be disappointed with the result, you know. Um, the results you get in your event should come as no surprise to anybody. You know, it can be, oh, gee, I really stuffed up, but it shouldn't be a surprise. And you should know exactly uh, what you, looking at the conditions, you know, understand what you should realistically expect on any given swim. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I, I know um, when we were talking um, before the podcast, you mentioned a new initiative that you were trying to get up and running with helping swimmers around Australia and possibly around the world connect with different places to swim at. So if you arrive at a beach, a brand new beach, when you're on holiday, for instance, how do you find out what the conditions are there, who to swim with, where to contact? Tell us a little bit about that initiative that you're trying to get up and running. Okay, um, yeah, that's uh, as a result of the Bay Open Water Swimmers Group um, that we have on Facebook. I know that there are not not everybody's on Facebook uh, and not everybody's a fan of Facebook, so we are um, uh, building a website that will uh, um, be, you know, so we'll have both Facebook and a proper web uh, page that people can go to um, and one where we'll have... Um, a lot of experienced people sharing lots of advice and uh, stories. Uh, there'll be forums where people can throw their questions up and find out, you know, some of the interesting topics you've already uh, raised. You know, you'll hear other people talking about it. You'll hear, uh, see posts by experienced swimmers of all levels, triple crown swimmers, English channel swimmers, uh, just, uh, you know, peer to pub, Peter Perignon swimmers as well, you know, that will share their stories. But we will be um, getting uh, the Bay Open Water Swimmers is now becoming an incorporated group and will become like, a, um, a, 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 I'm hoping, like an association body for open water swimmers, uh, not only here in Melbourne, but we'll connect with other groups in other states so that people are going on a holiday, they want to put up, they, they're going to a specific location, whether that be Jarvis Bay or up on the Sunshine Coast at Mooloola Bar. You know, what, what swimming groups are there? When do they swim? How often do they go? Do they welcome newcomers? Uh, all of that. So we'll be putting yeah. all of that information and that'll be built up over the next six to nine months. Yeah, that's great. It's a wonderful initiative because, I mean, I, I think a lot of swimmers have their group or their squad that they swim with and then go away and find that they don't have anyone to swim with. And that's when they've actually got time to do more swimming when they're on holidays. So that's a that's a really good initiative that I think people will really take it, take it up and find it really yeah. valuable. So that's yeah, great idea. And and I think you know that they'll find that um you know having a swimming buddy has lifelong rewards and um yeah, I'll leave it at that. I think, you know, the number of people, the number of people who I've seen build up big groups over this COVID uh, period has been enormous. You know, the, we had a, a massive group down there at Half Moon Bay and Mentone with the pink caps and all that. We built up very big groups. 
But because of the COVID restrictions, it's meant that we've had to have splinter groups. And the beauty is, is that, you know, in amongst that, we've seen um, enough people willing to be the leader of that and to the, you know, start up a group. And, and all it takes is for somebody to say, oh, you know, let's get a little WhatsApp and we'll put that in. And oh, if you want to know when we swim, we'll put you out our, to our group. And those groups, I've seen some of them grow from two to three to 35, 40. It's fantastic. Yeah. 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 So there's, uh, but we want people to know that there's always a place to find a swimming buddy and we urge you to do that rather than just swimming alone. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask if you advocate using a swim visibility buoy in the open water. In squad, uh, we don't because we've actually got a paddler there uh, alongside and, you know, we, we don't um, add to any drag factor. In learning introduction to open water swimming, yes, I will use those at, at all times. One, whether it be as a, uh, you know, just a added bit of, I know confidence for the swimmer swimming, even though you don't ever really use it for a life saving device. But once we go out past the poles, and people, when they go to open water swimming areas, must know where the swimming area is and where the shared water area is. It's I'm a, um, a big believer in educating people on you know water safety. Same as road safety. You wouldn't dream of going out on the road on a bike without a helmet. And yet we have people out in the water running all over the road, right where all the boats are, right where all the jet skis go, and think that I've got right away. Good luck with that. You know, so the so having we have a duty of care, even if it's not a tow float, to be wearing something bright and uh, something that stands out, um, pink and orange and yellows and those lime greens really do stand out. A lot of people think that it's uh, something here in Australia. Uh, let me assure you, over in Europe, open water swims over in Europe and Spain, you don't wear one, you don't swim. Simple as that. Your timing device is going to be in them. It's not a personal uh, life jacket, It's but it is a safety thing. They stand out and everybody who's on the well, they see them everywhere anyway. Yes. But more importantly, they're really handy. I put my um, I double bag and I put my phone, wallet and keys in the little safe that you take along with you with your valuables in. Yeah, yeah, that's got that added bonus, hasn't it? I think visibility first and foremost and obviously a little safe to go along with you. <laughs> well, another little thing that I'd use them for is um, we have ones where you can put all the feeds in for our uh, marathon swimming. Everybody loves swimming with the current. And in summer, when you've got a raging current going one way, how good is it when you can say, okay, I'm going to put my shorts, thongs, T-shirt and all that in there and uh, my wallet so I can get a nice little coffee afterwards on the phone. Um, and I'm going to swim with it and then walk all the way back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't have to record on my Garmin um, my slower time coming back into the current. You know, we can all be uh, say, yeah, I swam at a, uh, you know, <laughs> a 110 pace for the whole 10K. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Peter. It's been lovely chatting to you and hearing um, some tips and getting some advice on open water swimming. And um, hopefully things are opening back up for everyone soon and you'll get more people down swimming with you and your squads. Absolutely. And if people want to get involved or they they don't know how to get involved, um, we will be starting up the introduction to open water sessions starting soon. So Fantastic. We'll have those posted up on the Swimwell website. So if anybody knows of anybody who wants to get involved, hey, there's a place for them to do so. Yeah, fabulous. Okay, well, take care and we'll see you out on the water soon. Will do. Thanks, Danielle. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. I get so much joy talking to my weekly guests. I hope you enjoy listening into their stories and find it useful and take things back to your own training. Please follow the podcast on your favourite platform and like and share. It really helps other swimmers find us. We have one more episode for this season before we take a small break. Take care. Till next time. Happy swimming and bye for now.